Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you've gathered us here in this place of warmth, both physically and spiritually. We ask that your blessing would continue to be upon it and upon us, Lord. May your Holy Spirit enlighten our minds to see your word with fresh eyes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're continuing on in our series with the Apostles' Creed. And um, this week, we're talking about the phrase, the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Have you ever been hurt, or maybe more pointedly, have you ever found yourself mourning over the hurt done to someone that was incredibly dear to you? Because sometimes the second is harder than the first. Have you ever been hurt by someone's action or found yourself mourning because of a hurt done to someone that you love deeply? And you might find yourself asking, why should I forgive? Doesn't forgiveness make me weak? I believe in the forgiveness of sins, says the voice in the back of your mind. Doesn't forgiving make me foolish and stupid? I believe in the forgiveness of sins, might ring the voice in the back of your mind. Isn't forgiving some kind of miscarriage or just of justice? I believe in the forgiveness of sins, repeats the voice in the back of your mind. Or if it hasn't, you stand and you say it during the creed. Maybe you've heard that very conversation go on in your head. I know I have, and I'm sure you probably have too. We have all had those questions, and if you've never asked those particular questions, you're blessed. You're incredibly blessed. Because it means that no one's ever done someone so terrible to you that you couldn't struggle with the question and question God as to why those things happened. There's nothing more misunderstood, in my opinion, today than forgiveness. Because there's a lot about forgiveness that's become muddled, even in the Christian mind. We'll talk about forgiving and will pass it off as just not mattering, right? Oh yeah, I forgive you, you don't have, that's fine, right? Or we'll just kind of move along in it and think of it as, well, I just need a, a just, just give me a redo. But that's not biblical forgiveness. Half the reason that people have such a problem with forgiveness, I think, is that we don't understand it clearly. And the other half, of course, as illustrated by the earlier questions, is that even if we do have a clear understanding of it, boy, is it hard to do. Boy, is it hard to do, particularly when that hurt runs deep. Part of the problem we take forgiveness so lightly in our culture is that we take sin so lightly in our culture, too. Notice, if you truly took the hurt for what it was, or the sin for the depth of what it is, you couldn't just toss it up by the wayside. 
You couldn't just say, oh, that's okay. You couldn't just continue to go, right? You couldn't slough it off if you truly see what sin does. So maybe we start with sin. Well, that's another sermon, so I'll spare you. But suffice it to say for today, when we talk about sin, let's talk about it as missing the mark and as an offense against God and against his people. Let's just classify it that way, as missing the mark, not meeting God's expectations, and then hurting his people. And in that light, let's look at forgiveness. What is forgiveness? What does God do with it? How does my belief in forgiveness of sins change me as a, as a Christian? Well, first of all, let's define our term. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Well, take Luke eleven twenty four, when Jesus tells us a passage you're all familiar with, pray this way to your Father, and then he goes down to that phrase, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You could also translate that, forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. The Greek word there for forgiveness is actually apemai, which means to forgive, yes, but more precisely, to send away, to bid it to depart, to let it go. So when you see forgiveness, it's most likely that Greek term. You can also read into your Bible when that, whenever that happens, send away, let go bid depart. One of the most basic lessons to forgiveness is to learn to let the injury go. But that's one of the hardest things to do. We'll come back to that. It does not really make sense outside of the Christian faith to be a forgiving person. Notice that most of societies that aren't influenced by Christianity um, value justice, vengeance, honor and shame, all things more than forgiveness, more than forgiveness. Why? Because outside of the larger context of God, forgiveness doesn't make sense. The problem with the questions that we ask of forgiveness, however, is not a problem of making sense for the Christian. It's a problem of focusing too much on ourselves. You see, when we ask those questions at the beginning of the, service, at the, beginning of the sermon, and we wrestle with them, we're not looking at the larger context. So I want to invite you, open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Now, you all know the story of the prodigal son, I'm sure. And this is one of those stories that, you know, is vivid to us even from Sunday school days. But it's one of those wonderful passages of Scripture that's never exhausted. You know, you could preach a sermon series on this passage alone. You could probably do that the rest of your life. As you're opening up to Luke 15, 11, most of you who have heard the story can probably tell us who are the main characters. I'm sorry, Luke 15, verse 11. Who are, who are the main characters? Yes. A father and two sons. Yeah. 
a father and two sons. And understand in this culture, the father is not just daddy. The father is the patriarch. The father is the person who owns everything in this culture. You worked, it's, a, it's better to think of him actually as a lord, like a feudal lord. You know, some of you have probably seen Downton Abbey, right? This is like Lord Grantham. This is the, the grand poobah, the, the guy that is responsible for all of it, right? That's the father. And he's got two sons. And look what happens. Verse 11. Jesus is describing the kingdom of God. And the younger of his sons comes to him and says, Father, give me the share of my share of the property that's coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. Let's just stop right there, because that's really easy to read. If you're a business owner or have ever had some kind of asset that you had to divide up for any reason, is that easy to do? I know some of you have experienced that. It's not easy to do, right? Like, this isn't just like, yeah, I'll go to the bank, put my ATM card in, and get the second son's inheritance. That's not what's going on here. Don't miss the fact that this is an incredible, incredible insult the father. And not as just an insult, it's an incredible hurt, an incredible hardship for the second son to come to the father and say, give me my share, is to say a couple things. Number one, it's to say, you're as good as dead to me. It's like saying, hey, go cash out your life insurance policy, because I'd rather have that than be with you. Second thing is that it's also an incredible hardship for the rest of the family. Think about what it has to, be, has to be done in order to give him half of his inheritance if he's entitled to the land, the, the oxen, the sheep, the, the whole shebang, to cut that in half, to cash it out. That's not easy. But the father does it. The father does it and sends him on his way. Now that's before we get to his misuse of it. <laughs> right? Do you see the hurt that is here? Do you see the offense that is here? Let's keep going. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So that he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him to the field to feed pigs. So the guy really blows through this money. And you can imagine what he's got to be doing to blow through this kind of money, right? Half of his inheritance. And he gets to the point that there's a famine in the land, and he's got to go and hire himself out. But notice, as he hires himself out to this farmer, does he get the wages that are even enough to sustain him? No. Verse 16 says he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So he's not even making ends meet. He's just getting deeper into debt. 
I love verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 17, it says that he came to himself. Other translations, like the New American Standard Bible, I think the NIV translate it, he came to his senses. But the meaning's the same. He's here getting deeper into debt, starving, even though he's being paid. And he says, this isn't working. This isn't working. But notice, what is that? It's taking his focus off of what he's doing and looking at the bigger picture. He's taking his focus off of his feeding the pigs and thinking to himself, this boss that I work for doesn't give a rip. My father does. Do you know the church fathers said that the boss here is actually the devil? Which is an interesting twist on this. That the devil promises us sustenance. The devil promises us provision. The devil gives us a job, so to speak. But all the time you're just getting deeper into debt. All the time you're just falling more and more behind. And feeding pigs. Yes, and feeding pigs. Take that for what it's worth. (laughs) All of a sudden it dawns on this guy, hey, I'm dying, number one. Two, I've sinned. And notice, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And finally, number three, my father's generous. My father's generous. To get a proper look, we have to take a step back sometimes and look at the larger context of things. And it's the same way with forgiveness. It's the same way with forgiveness. Sometimes we're so looking at the trees that we miss the forest. And it doesn't make any sense for us to forgive that particular hurt or that particular person because we're not looking back at the Father and back at everything that's been done for us. Which takes us to point two of the sermon. Don't worry, the rest aren't as long. Point two of the sermon. What does God have to do with forgiveness? The answer is everything. Everything. Forgiveness doesn't make sense without God. The father figure in this parable, of course, we know is God. And many people see this parable primarily as about us. But take a step back. This parable, yes, is about a foolish man, about a prodigal. We talked about that last week, right? But it's also about primarily who God is. And if you look at the rest of chapter 15 in Luke's gospel, and if you have your Bible open, here's your quiz. What's in the rest of chapter 15? What comes before the prodigal son? Anybody? What's it? The story of the lost sheep? Yeah? Somebody else? The story of the lost coin? And is the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin about the sheep or the coin? Well, yeah, maybe. But it's primarily about the guy searching for them, isn't it? His ardency to not let go, to to not give up 
on the lost coin or the lost sheep. So, so it is with this parable that it's about the Father's love. It's about the Father's forgiveness. It's about the Father's taking this foolish, unworthy son back. It's all about the character of the Father. You see, while the prodigal models repentance here, and that's not a point to be lost, it's the Father that models forgiveness because it's against him and against his family that this terrible hurt has been done. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I want you to turn the page if you have your bulletin open. Or if you don't have it open, turn to page 14. Because sometimes images say much more than words. Turn to page 14. This is one of my favorite images depicting this story, The Return of the Prodigal Son by Pompeo Batoni, drawn in 1773. Look at this image because this is what's going on in verse 20. There's many pictures of the prodigal son, but I love this one so much because look at the richness of the father, contrasted with the utter nakedness of the son. Look at the fur on the robe. Look at the plushness of the velvet. Look at the father and what he's doing to the son. Look at the father's arm taking the son's elbow. Do you see that? What do you suppose is going on there? The father is pulling the son into himself. Why else would he be doing that? He's embracing him. He's pulling him into himself. And look at his other arm. He's wrapping that rich stole, that, that, that rich mantle, that, that rich cape around the naked son. The son that's caused him so much pain, but the son who's repented. This is the primary image of this parable. This is what God the Father did in sending Jesus to us. This is what forgiveness means to the Christian that sees God for who he is and sees himself for who he is. You see, this is the, the father for the Christian. This is the father with all of his riches and lavishness and warmth and, and encouragement. And, and here's the son naked, unable to do anything, not even able to feed himself. Gaunt, cold. This is what forgiveness is in a picture for us. And when it comes to forgiveness, why are we bidden by our Lord Jesus so much to forgive? Because this is the forgiveness that you and I have been given. So who are we to be able to turn around and say, yeah, I'm not going to forgive you. Who are we to be able to turn and look at somebody when we've been so richly enwrapped with God's love? What are the practical enemies of forgiveness? Well, deep down, when an offense has been committed against us, what do we want to do? We want to hang on to it, right? Sometimes when we're sicker <laughs> in our human deprivation, 
we want to nurture it, right? We hang on to it, we nurture it. Think of a hurt, think of something that you've had a hard time forgiving somebody for. What do you do? Do you just shelve it? No, 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 no. It's there in your heart. It's being cared for. It's being nurtured. It's being given more life. And what happens? It grows and grows and it takes hold of you, right? You see, what you're not doing is in not forgiving is you're not letting something go. You're not allowing something to be cast off. You're not allowing it to be put away from you. Instead, you're clutching it. Why? Well, because it makes you feel special. In some weird, twisted way, it makes you feel like somehow you've got power over that person. Ha-ha. Karen did that to me. I'm not going to forgive her, and therefore, therefore, I'm superior to her because every time I see her, I can say, she sinned against me. Do you remember that time? You see how it works? I mean, it's a silly example, but, but look, we all have gone through that in our mind, right? And even more so, it seems to give us special status. Oh, I'm a victim. I'm the injured party here. You can't correct me. You can't, you know, tell me that I'm wrong because I'm the one that's been sinned against. Well, what happens when you got a bunch of people that are victims and have been sinned against? Well, it degrades into terrible relational experiences, right? It just gets worse. Jesus knows that. God knows that. And he bids us, he says, Get out of that for your own sake, if not for the others. You know, the devil loves that too. Because in embracing that sin and not forgiving, it gives him two souls. The person that perpetrated the crime and the victim that won't let go of the crime. Why? The person that perpetrated it's broken the law. But so is the victim by not forgiving so we're called to forgive. And again, don't, don't misunderstand me. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It's not the same of making amends and justice, okay? That's, those are different things that we can't hit today. But forgiveness is the primary thing going on here. So, are you dealing with one of these situations? Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Do you believe just in the forgiveness of sins for you? But, you know, not for that guy. Why should I forgive? Does staying on this cross make me weak? Are those mocking me, making me weak? I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Does letting these pitiless soldiers drive nails through my hands and feet and spit on me and make me foolish and stupid, does that make me foolish and stupid? I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Isn't this whole thing, this trial before Pontius Pilate, this flogging, this crucifixion, this execution, isn't it injustice? Isn't it a miscarriage of justice? He believes in the forgiveness of sins. And thanks be to God that Jesus believes in the forgiveness of sins. Because if he hadn't, that never would have happened. And you and I would still be 
in that far off land. But we're not. Amen.